Acts chapter 15. It reads as follows. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. I'll stop there. So what's going on in the Bible as we read? We have been in Acts for a long time, and we've been in this section for like probably eight weeks. And during this last eight weeks, we've watched Paul and Barnabas go city after city after city preaching the gospel. They're bringing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to city after city after city. And they've learned a lot of things. In one of the cities, they had to learn that the message doesn't change, but the methods do. And the Paul and Barnabas had to learn, we'll no longer start in the synagogues. We're going to go to the Gentiles and tell the Gentile sinners about the good news of Jesus. They have faced persecution. They have faced acceptance. They have faced all kinds of things. They were even in one city, people tried to take them and worship them as gods. And they had to teach the people, it's not about the messengers, but about the message. Well, Paul and Barnabas have finally come back to their home church. They finally come back to Antioch, their home church. And as you would imagine, it's a blessing, it's a joy, it's a good day. Today, Joe and Kat, oh, there they are, back there. As I'm walking, Joe and Kat, were deacon, they were deacons here for years and years and years. Joe, hello, uh, they, he head up, they, they headed up our, our kids' ministry, and they moved to one of those states across the lake. I always mix, mix them up. Wisconsin, Minnesota, one of the cold ones. Which, is it, which one is it? Wisconsin. Oh, yeah, the cheese one. But they, they, they live there now, and they work there hard now, and whenever they come back, they're part of our family still. When we see them, there's joy. Uh, last Sunday, <laughs> my daughter comes walking to church, and she starts running at me. And I'm like, my daughter's 10 years old now. She never runs in my arms anymore. I'm just like, Lena! And she runs right by me and gives their daughter a hug. I was like, man, that ain't right. That ain't right. So, somebody, someone saw that. Someone here saw that happen. It was really embarrassing. Um, but when you come home to your people, there is a feeling. So Paul and Barbara have come home to Antioch, and the, pe the church is like, what, tell us what happened. Paul and Barnabas say, man, we've been, to, we've been to Crete, we've been to Cyprus, we've been to Lystra, we've been to all these cities preaching Jesus, and we have seen people get saved, we've seen churches established, it has been good, and there is rejoicing for a moment. But in the middle of the rejoicing, in the middle of all the good news, someone stands up and goes, <clears throat> I, I have a I have an objection to this celebration. 
And I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about? This is what it says, verse, verse 15, 15, verse 1. They say, ah, listen, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They say, Paul and Barnabas, the message you're preaching is incomplete. You've preached a wrong message. Your message is wrong. Your gospel is incomplete. You're doing it wrong, and we're against the work. That's a wet blanket. That is a party pooper, we call it, in, in, in elementary school. This person has let the air out of the balloon. They're like, I know everyone's happy, but you gave them the wrong message, man. You gave them Jesus and the cross. You told them nothing about the customs of the Jewish people. You've left some stuff out. So what do they do? The church now has an argument in its hands. There's a debate. It's, I love the Bible. It's, sometimes it, it says things so oddly. It says, and after, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension debate with them, just in case you don't know, they done had a fight. We hadn't, if I, if, I, if I called my mom and said, how's, how's the door to home, honey? Uh, me and Angie had no small debate this afternoon. That is, I am declaring, I'm on the couch again, mom. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just I'm, I'm, this never happened. I'm not on the couch. Well, I have, but that's because of the dog. Um, not the dog, it's a long story. Okay. So, what do they do? There are, also there's two factions. There's an argument among God's people. What do you do? How do you resolve it? The church back there goes, you know what, Paul, Barnabas, you got to go back to Jerusalem. The church that planted us, where all the apostles are, they'll know what we should do. Go back to them, lay your message before them, and see what they say. So they pack up their bags and travel back to Jerusalem to tell them, this is what's going on. And when they get there, they find there's even more of these like circumcision guys back there. Now, some of you guys like say circumcision. What does it to do with anything? Okay. In the Jewish faith, if you read the Bible in Genesis, God called Abraham, a man named Abraham. God called Abraham to be himself. Said, "Listen, I'm gonna make you a great nation, and here's a sign of your tribe." Abraham was like, "What's the sign, Lord? Is it a is it an earring? No, no, it's not an earring. Is it a tattoo? No, no, it's not a tattoo." <laughs> it's circumcision. And it's like, well, we, we lost that, that lottery. Um, like, because Abraham was like 80 years old. Um, and that's a bad day. But that becomes for every Jewish baby born, circumcised right after they're born. And that's a sign of you're a male of our tribe. Okay, that's been part of the Jewish culture for thousands of years. And really, that, that sign of their covenant, that sign of their, their, their culture and their faith, that was, in their mind, that was like a picture of them obeying the law of Moses. If you want to be with God, you must have the mark. So they said, they're basically telling Paul and Barnabas, they're telling the whole world, if you want to be a Christian, you got to be Jewish first. It's like this, they're saying, they're saying to the people, it's like if you fly on a cheap airline, they're like, listen, if you want to go to Orlando, you got to come to Atlanta first, Okay? If you want to come to Jesus, you got to stop in, in the Jewish airport first, get circumcision, learn what to eat and what not to eat, then you can, then you can get your layover, you can get your next plane and fly on to Jesus land, okay? But you got to stop in Atlanta, well, 
Uh, yeah, stop in Judaism first, sorry. I don't like Atlanta. Um, <laughs> World Series bummed me out this year. No, I'm just kidding, sorry. Um, but they said you had to stop in Jewish land before you go on to Jesus land, okay? So they've gone to Jerusalem to figure this out. And here is the first point I want to make. And John, I texted you my new points a few minutes ago. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> so the first point is this. This is a weird thing to say to us, but I'm going to say it, and I want you, I want, I got to listen to this. The gospel has been entrusted to the church. The gospel has been entrusted to the church. I, this is a very important moment. In, it, what's going to happen to the church of God? Is it going to break in half? Is it going to have a fight immediately? What they do is they go to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem calls pastors from all the existing churches to come together and to talk through this issue. It's, the, it's considered, in history, we call it the first church council. So there's pastors from every church. Paul and Barnabas are there. All the apostles are there. They're there to figure out what do we believe as a people. And they're going to hammer it out as a community. Now, listen. We are Protestants. Most of us in this room, our history of our faith goes back to Martin Luther nailing a stinking thesis onto a wall in Wittenberg, right? You guys heard of this? Martin Luther, he protests the church. The church is abusive and wrong, so we rebel against it, and it breaks off into a thousand pieces. And in America, we are a very individualistic nation. Like, what does the lesson plate say in Maryland or whatever state that is? Live free or die? Our, our, our westerns are always the lone... Like, there was these Clint Eastwood cowboy movies I watched as a kid. There's three of them, and he was called the man with no name. And he'd ride the town on a horse, be super tough alone, and leave on a horse alone tough. As a kid, I was like, that's a man. You know, that's what you think. You think to yourself that, that, that being alone, self-reliant by myself, that is true masculinity. That is true heroism. But in the Christian, in the movement of Christ, we are not meant to be alone. It's not just me and God doing things and we're going to save the world ourselves. When you read the New Testament, the Bible I hold in my hands is called the ESV, the English Standard Version. And, the, in the, and this is a translation of the Bible. The, uh, the Bible written in Hebrew and Greek, translated into English for us to read. The English has, you see the word you all the time. The Bible will say, you be my witnesses, and you tell your friends about Jesus. You be the light of the world. There's all these you language. In the Greek, that's always plural. Every time. It's not you, it's y'all. He's not talking to one, he's talking to all of us. You, my people. You, my church, I'm calling you on this mission. And a lot of us think it's this mission between me and God. All I need is me and God. That's not all we need. We need to be part of a community of faith. We need the church. We need one another. This mission around Flint City Church is not the Pastor Ernesto show. It's a group of people who all love Jesus, who are all on mission, and when we go to our workplaces, when we go to our families for Thanksgiving, when, we, when, we, when we're out in our neighborhood, when we're out like, you know, mowing or seeing raking our grass or our leaves, and we meet our neighbors and talk to them, as we live our lives, we are 
light. We are salt. It's not just, we don't, churches don't just pay a pastor to do the ministry and we sit back and watch the show, eating our popcorn, nom, nom, nom. That's not the church. The church is us together going the same direction. And not only that, we learn we're not the first generation of Christians. People have been following Christ for like 2,000 years, man. When I'm reading the Bible, if I, have a, if I think I have a cool idea with the Bible, I always read church history. Because I, I have this belief in my mind, I have this rule of my mind that if no one in the history of the church has ever thought this idea, I'm probably wrong. I'm not the first guy to think this. I'm not the first guy to read this. And I know for sure I'm not the smartest guy to read this. Like, can you imagine how smart people were before TV? I think everyone before TV was a genius. Think about, think about how much TV we all watch as a people. How much, how much entertainment we consume. If I like, spent all my entertainment time taking Jesus, I'd be a saint. You know what I'm saying? So we believe God, God has entrusted the gospel to the church. We encourage you. Even if you don't go to Flint City Church, we encourage you. Belong to a people. Find a people of God and commit to them, hang out with them, love them, serve them. And I know, I know the church can hurt. The church of God can hurt people. I've been serving God's church for 20 years now. I spent a year of my life once reading biographies. I remember reading, I read, I read Spurgeon's life story, I read Billy Graham's, I read D.L. Moody's, I read all these Christians' life stories. As you read their life stories, I saw one similarity in all their stories. The greatest wounds they ever took were not from the world outside. Not from the press, not from some congressman, not from the police or the, you know, anything like that. The greatest wound people took, the, these Christian leaders, was from the church itself. Graham, Spurgeon, Moody, the church wounded them more than anyone else. And listen, some of our deepest cuts we've... I lived in India, was arrested and deported from that country, and those wounds do not bleed as much as the wounds God's people have given. But I still know this is where he's working. And so even though people fail, I know God's called us. And so we're committed to one another. We're committed to serve Find a people of God and join them. They ain't perfect. They will fail you. But God's entrusted his gospel to the church. Both local, historical, and global. So they all meet in Jerusalem to hammer out the question, must you go to Jewish land before you go to Jesus land? I'm going to use this metaphor the whole time. I'm sorry. I just made it up. Verse 6, what happens? So the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. They have a big council. Everyone comes together. They're there to debate this issue right now for the whole church to see. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them. This is, so there's been a lot of debate, a lot of talking. When Peter stands up, it's time to shut up because Peter is the head of the apostles. Peter's the man. Peter stood up to to give the word. This is what Peter says. Brothers, you know that in the early days, 
God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Peter goes, guys, he goes, you know, a few years ago, I led Cornelius to Jesus, a Gentile, a pagan. I went to his house, and he got saved, and his wife got saved, and his kids got saved, and the sinking, the main butler got saved. Every, his, his brothers and his sisters and his uncles and his grandpappy, everyone in that family got saved. Everybody. And there was a fight back then. Everyone got, Peter, you ate food with Gentile sinners. Oh. And Peter goes, God told me to do it. They're like, okay. And they, they let it stand. Peter goes, God, I'm the leader of the apostles, and I'm telling you, Gentiles are allowed to come to Christ, and they don't got to go to the Jewish airport before they go to the Jesus airport. They can come straight to Jesus. And he, and he gets a little mean. He goes, listen, this law you claim to love, you want to put the law of Moses on these new Christians' heads. Here's the reality. Our fathers never kept it. And all you ones preaching about it, none of you keep it either. This law has been crushing us for 2,000 years. The law of God was never meant to save the souls of men and women. The law of God was there. It was given to us to reveal that we can never be good enough. The law is a mirror showing I'm a sinner. In case you don't know, here's God's holy standard. You're like, oh. I remember I studied the Ten Commandments once. I spent like three months in Ten Commandments. And I, at first I thought, I only struggle with like two of these, you know? Like two of these give me a problem. The rest, I got them down. So what are the Ten Commandments? So we'll go, know the gods before me. No idols. Um, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Now, this, those first four are easy. Now, the, 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 second, the next six are hard. On your mother and father is number five. I know that one. I'm a parent. On your mother and father. Um, number six, I don't I say all of them. So don't steal, don't murder, don't lie, don't have, a, don't have a adultery, and don't covet. We got them all. Okay, so, okay, we got them all. I thought at first, maybe two of those give me trouble. So I started studying them. As I started looking at the commandments, I started realizing, I do bad at a lot of these. I started realizing, man, like, I'm like, murder, I never kill nobody. I'm clean, yo. And Jesus is like, if you have hate in your heart, you're on the road to murder, baby. I'm like, oh, man. I've had hate in my heart, and I've even, I've even flirted with the idea more than once. Like, you didn't do nothing, but it was in you. And I'm like, you ain't wrong, Lord. As I looked at the commandments, I realized I am a sinner, and I can never be good enough to earn God's love. 
I can't earn it. You can't earn it. You are not good enough. You're not clean. We may think to ourselves, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. We're not judged against that guy or that girl. I'm like, you know what? I'm no Jeffrey Dahmer, so I'm getting into heaven. You know, that's not the standard. The standard is God's holy standard. And Peter says it here so well. Peter says, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. This is the gospel. The gospel is salvation through, it's, it's, it's salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. The gospel is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. That's why the cross matters to us as Christians. Christ died that we may live. Christ died and fulfilled the law and freed us from the law. The gospel is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. When I stand before the God of heaven someday, I will not say, I did five good things for you. Let me in. I'm not going to say I had my ticket. When I stand before the Lord God, there's only one question, one question I have to answer. One question you have to answer. Did you love his son? Did you love and trust his son? Did you know his son in this life? If you know him here, you'll know him there. If you don't know him here, you ain't going to know him there either. What does he say? Depart from me, I never knew you. That's what he says. But I did good stuff for you. You did it for me, you never did it with me. But I know so much about you. You know about me, but you don't know me. The gospel, Peter says it strongly. And listen, they're going to repeat it twice. Paul and Barnabas get up and they say, Peter's right. They tell the whole story. Everyone got saved. Everyone cheers. Then James gets up. James the just, the half-brother of Christ gets up and he quotes the scriptures in verse 15. So, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. So he's going to quote the book of Amos. He says, after this I will return. I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. And the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. The church has their big meeting and they decide once and for all, you don't have to go to the Jewish airport. And have a layover there. Don't got to be circumcised. Don't got to eat the dietary laws of the Jewish people. You can fly directly to the Jesus airport and know Christ. Nothing is added to the gospel. For the, so they tell Paul and Barnabas, the message you're preaching is good. You keep on doing it. There's one last thing that happens here. Verse 19, listen. James says, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. What happened at the end here? They had the big debate, and they decide... The, the, the Gentiles, the pagan sinners, don't have to become Jews first. 
but we're giving you a letter. Paul and Barnabas, we need all the churches you go to. We need this letter to every church you preach at. And the letter at the bottom has three things, like a P.S. You ever do a P.S. and write a letter? You ever write a letter? I mean, I know that's old. Some of you young kids have read letters. You know what's crazy? I'm on the edge of that whole generation thing. We did email in college, didn't we, babe? We just missed letters by that much. But letters seem, letters seem more romantic, I think. But anyway, the letter says at the bottom, James and the Church of Jerusalem says, you don't got to obey the law, but we're asking you three things. We ask you, stay away from idols. Stop being so sexually immoral because the pagan nations were real bad. Like they were, they were like, like they had the temples and temples had temple prostitutes. It was real bad. Like, like not PG, it was rated R. In Athens, Ephesus, there, there was nasty stuff out there. And he goes, you, you guys getting saved out of that? Stop messing with that stuff, yo. Put it down. Don't go to the temple anymore. I don't believe in it, but you're still going up there. So he's got to tell them, cut it out. So no idols, no more temple, temple. And he goes, and, 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 he says, and please don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. Now, this is not a commandment. What he's saying is, listen, for the Jewish church and the Gentile church to hang out together, we have to make compromises. So we're asking you, for the sake of your Jewish brothers and Jewish sisters, don't go buy the discount Zeus meat for your dinner at church. Pay full price for the non-Zeus burgers. Fair? So here's what's happening. Here's the last thing. The gospel... I wrote it down really well. Uh, I wrote it down. I'm, I'm going to see what I wrote because I wrote it right here. This way. Here it is. The gospel can grow in any culture, but it does not belong to any one culture. He says, You don't got to be Jewish to be a Christian. But because you live among the Jews, you should be thoughtful to them and considerate to them. You should do things to promote peace with our. The church is going to be half Jewish and half Gentile. We have to find a way to live together and not hate one another, right? right. So they say, listen, no idols. Throw them away, yo. Stop going to the temple. That's, that's everyone should stop doing that. And he says, don't eat the meat that writes to idols. He says, are you allowed? To, listen, as a Christian, would you be allowed to eat the cheaper meat? Yes, you would be. You're, you're free in Christ to eat the cheaper meat. But because we love our Jewish neighbors, we should avoid it because it would hurt their hearts and it would sear their conscience. The gospel can grow in any culture. What we learn from this moment in church history is this. I'll just say some controversial things and then we'll end. Okay, good. Oh, man, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm stupid. The Muslim faith is a very rapidly growing faith. They say in the next 20, 30 years, it will overtake Christianity as the number one religion in the world. Now, the Muslim faith does not grow through evangelism. I don't know if you guys know that or not. The Muslim faith grows through birth rate. The birth rate is so high, wherever the Muslim faith grows, it just 
It's just there's more babies, so the culture changes based on that birth rate. You understand? Now, in the Muslim faith, there's a holy book called the Quran. You've heard of this book, the Quran? And the Quran says, in order to read their holy book, you must read it in its original Arabic. I guess know that or not. Translating English is seen as um, an act of sacrilege. You have um, defaced their holy book. The Muslim faith is a very culture-bound religion. It kept the language the same. It's from a very Middle Eastern worldview. And if you want to practice it, you must have that same Middle Eastern worldview. What's crazy about Christianity is Christianity is not bound by those culturally bound realities. In the early church, they say, listen, unleash the gospel to anyone and everybody that wants it. And it's allowed to go to any place and the seed can go in any land and grow up that plant in any culture. At, now, listen, we've not always got this right. Some of the early Western missionaries, we were so backwards. There's pictures of missionaries carrying pianos into Africa. Because if you're part of church, you've got to have that hymnal, yo. <sighs> carrying a piano. I don't carry a piano up my stairs, let alone in Africa. You know what I'm saying? Like on a boat, on a trail. To, like, it's crazy. How do you tune that thing after a thousand miles? I don't know. I come from a Baptist world, and back in the day, my Baptist heritage, we didn't like drums. Baptists would go to India and tell the Indians, you know Jesus now? Well, in churches, you can't play the drum. And if you know Indian people, the drum is their heart instrument. Like in America, we were the piano for a long time, we the organ, then piano, then now we're the acoustic guitar. It's kind of, you know, Ricky plays that. In India, when I go to India... When we lead worship, there's only one instrument on the stage, a tabla, a single drum. Because the drum is the, is, is the heart instrument of the people. And the, some early missionaries came to those Indians and said, that drum's evil, put it away. And we took our American stuff and transplanted it on that foreign culture, and it hurt them. Thankfully, we've gotten smarter, and now what you see is when you go overseas to Africa or India or Korea... You see the people are writing songs about Christ in their own language, with their own instruments, in their own way, because the seed of the gospel can grow in any culture. It's awesome to see that Christ is bigger than, it's bigger than Germany, than England, than America. You know what's crazy? For a long time, England was the mission capital of the world. Then the mission capital became America. America's had more missions than anybody else. Guess what? We've lost the title. They say Korea will send more missions in America than 10 years. The world church is growing. We have much to learn about following Christ. Our, our nation, we're tanking. The gospel can grow in any culture. And we must be careful as a people. It can go in any culture, but it not, does not belong to any one culture. The Jewish people try to say, we own Christianity. If you want to be a Christian, you must be like us first. And every nation has the same problem. A lot of us think our national values 
our Christian values. And sometimes and often they're not. Be careful not to take your national values and marry it to Jesus. Be careful when you do that. When you do that, you don't exalt Christ. You exalt your nation. And nations are transient things. They fall down they fade. I'll give you an illustration. I'll be controversial once again. Because why not? I got an email forward from a good friend in the faith. There's a lot of debates in our country. A lot of right versus left, even in the church. We, are, we take our sides, even in, in God's house. I got an email once, a forward. I love email forwards. I'm joking. I hate them. Don't send them to me. Please, please, please don't. It said, let me get it right. It said, it was, there was some kind of immigration thing in the news. Some kind of, there was like a whole group of people at the, at the border wanting to get in. So someone sent me an email that said, heaven has closed borders Hell has open borders. Now, the point of that was saying, the person said to me, had a belief about how immigration should be handled in America. And you're allowed to have that opinion. You're, listen, that's a very hard issue to solve. I'm Latino, I'm Mexican, and I know it's, it's complex, okay? I'm not saying it's not complex. But someone takes this one political issue, and they infuse God's word into their opinion. And when you do that, you don't elevate your opinion, you degrade the Christ. Don't use Christ to make you sound smarter. Instead, let Christ build upon your life holiness and love and compassion, and that will give him honor. We must be careful to people to to not mix up our national values and our Christian faith. When you do that, you create an unholy union. That union has burned down a lot of nations. A lot of nations. In this church, we have Republicans and Democrats. There is room for both in God's house. In case you don't know that, we have Christian brothers who disagree, Christian sisters who disagree, and that is okay. There's freedom in God's house. There's freedom. Now, like James wrote to the churches, we must leave room for peace. Okay? We must leave room for peace. Don't walk into church every Sunday looking to fight, you know, I'm going to fight a conservative, I'm going to fight a liberal today. No, 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 no. Okay? We're allowed to just enjoy one another and love one another and not have a fight every time we gather. Now, I'm not, we, we haven't done this. I'm just saying I'm giving an example. I'm giving an example. The Jerusalem Council, this moment in church history is incredible. We learn first the gospels entrusted to the church. The church is important. And as, as Protestants, we have devalued the value of the church. We've devalued the church. We think if it's me and Jesus, all I need. No, it's not. Our world is becoming more lonely by the second. We can't do it alone. We need each other. We need each other. Two, salvation. The gospel is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. Don't add to the message. And three, the gospel can grow in any culture. Praise the Lord. He can grow in a hood rat. 
He can grow in a country girl. He can grow in suburban folk. He can grow wherever you come from. He can grow in your house and your neighborhood and your nation. But no nation owns him. No nation owns Jesus. He owns us. We don't own him. This council reveals all those things to us. Thanks be to God for those Christ followers back then who talked it out, who prayed it out, who listened to the Holy Spirit, and who showed us the way to go forward. With that said, let us pray. God in heaven, There are so many fights in your church. All these years later, we're still fighting about all kinds of stuff. We're still fighting about the Jewish stuff. Lord, give us some humility. Give us some compassion. Shut our proud mouths. Let us reach across the aisles with other Christian brothers and sisters to see this lost world reach for your namesake. We live in a city where more than, more than 60% of the people of this city are not a part of your people. And we're supposed to argue with ourselves, we're just letting people walk to hell. Lord, forgive us for our shortcomings. Thank you for your grace to give us time to do it right. Let us truly be your light, your salt, and your people. Let us leave from this place and let's go outside and let us be known by your love. In Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen.